And this morning, we are going to examine, um, we're going to begin a new series that I, is going to remind us in kind of a, an unusual way uh, about the goodness of God. It's going to remind us again and again how God is good. So we're going to ask for God's help and then um, look at kind of an introduction. This morning will be a very teachy time. You know, sometimes I'm more preachy, sometimes I'm more teachy. This morning will be kind of teachy. Um, did everyone get a handout? There's actually two handouts. One of them uh, with blanks on it is the outline, and then the other one is a little more colorful. Um, if not, Brother Doug has those. In fact, why don't you, if you don't mind giving me one each so I have them. And I'll, uh, you can take notes on the one that's entitled Introduction to the Minor Prophets, and then I'll talk a little bit more about the timeline when uh, the time is appropriate. Let's uh, pause for a moment and ask for God's help. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness of it. Thank you even this morning that as we learn from your word, we know that you are good. And even when there are times that we struggle to believe that, we pray that you would again and again bring us back by your grace to be reminded that you are good. When times are difficult, when things oppress us, uh, may we hold to the truth of Scripture and your character. Christ's precious name, amen. So we're about a month after Christmas. I, uh, I know maybe when you were a kid, you would scope out all of the gifts that were under the tree and find out which ones were for you. Now, we don't do that at our house because we think the dog will get into them. <laughs> but, but, but I remember as a kid kind of scoping out, the, and I was looking for the big boxes, right? Because you know the big boxes have the good stuff. And then your parents would remind you, ah, sometimes, what, good things come in small packages. We are going to start a series of small packages. We're going to start a, a series on the Minor Prophets. These are those short little books, 12 of them, tucked away in your Old Testament. Some of them take little more than two pages in your Bible. They're very small. Now, they're not named Minor Prophets because they're of lesser importance. They're named Minor Prophets because the writings are short. The writings are brief. And it seems to me that perhaps this is one of the least understood sections of our Bibles. We know sometimes very little about these minor prophets, about these, these men who prophesied, and even perhaps less knowledgeable about the content of the books that bear their name. Beyond that, then it becomes more confusing when you're trying to figure out what prophet spoke to whom, to what kingdom, was it the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, who was the king that they were ministering to, who were their contemporaries. So just, the, just to kind of summarize everything, understand that these were ordinary men, sometimes even very simple men, who ministered to Israel in their darkest times. Again, they're not minor because they're unimportant, just because they're writings are shorter. So this morning is really going to be an attempt to get some context. So if you hang with us through our entire series, we'll be looking at each one of the minor prophets, and I'm going to attempt, attempt to preach one per sermon. 
It probably won't happen, but I'll try. <laughs> Just like I'm going to try to introduce the series this morning, and as I continue to work on it, it got longer and longer, and uh, we'll see if we even finish the introduction this morning. But the, the wonderful thing about pastoral preaching is you'll all be back next week, right? We can, by, by God's grace and Lord willing, we'll all be back together next week, and we can pick up where we left off. So let me kind of give you some settings, some context. It's important for us to understand understand the cultural and the historic context when we're reading through Scripture. It, it, share, it, it uh, sheds light on our accurate understanding. In most Hebrew Bibles, the, the minor prophets appear together. They're, they're one unbroken sequence rather than 12 separate packages like what we see in our in our Bibles. Um, we're going to actually preach through them in more or less chronological order, which does not strictly align with the order that they appear in your Bible. Um, it's actually the order we'll preach them is more similar to what they would be in, in the Hebrew Bible. Now, I've given you, again, two handouts. One of them is the outline for this morning on which you can take notes. The other one is this chronology of the prophets and kings. This is, I understand, this is not well done from a graphic design uh, visual point of view. If someone is inclined towards graphic design, then have at it, make it beautiful, all right? But I did this actually several years ago in a program that I don't even have on my computer anymore, so I couldn't edit it. (laughs) Um, So here you have this little project that I did. It helped me tremendously to see where the prophets fit together with the kings. Now, what I've done is I've given you the, the kings who were, the, the reigns that were evil in red, the reigns that were righteous in blue, and you'll see some of them actually change as they go through because some kings started out good and they turned bad. Some of them started bad and then they had a revival and they turned good. So you'll see a few of those that are actually multicolored. On the top, you'll see the, the northern kingdom, right? And these are the kings. Now, you, what do you notice about the northern kingdom color-wise? They're all red. <laughs> They're all red. Every one of the kings to Israel was a bad king. And so God judged them. In 722 BC, Israel was defeated by the Assyrians, and there was no more and is no more northern kingdom. Now, Judah was a more mixed bag. And so you see the kings of the south down at the bottom, some of them blue, some of them red, some of them transitioning uh, throughout their king. And then I've given you the prophets. Now, they're kind of shaded because a lot of these prophets, we don't know, I mean, they didn't keep track of birthdays back then. There's no, you know, birth certificate that Obadiah was born in such and such a year. So we kind of have a soft idea. And so that's why it's kind of, it's kind of done like that. We know, we know roughly the the time that they ministered. And so I've given you them on the timeline as well. And I've also classified them by who was ministering to the northern kingdom, who was ministering to the southern kingdom, and then some who were ministering to the pagan nations. Now, as you go on the back, as you go to the back, you're past the fall of the northern kingdom. So those two lines, those two top lines disappear. There are no northern kings. There are no northern prophets. So now we're just to Judah. Once you get onto the back and the timeline continues with these other prophets and the time of their ministry, how they coordinate with kings, were they good kings or evil kings? 
Then we see the exile of Judah. And then we see the prophets during, during the restoration period at the very end of your timeline. So hopefully that will help you. Perhaps you could tuck that away in your Bible. Um, and uh, as you read through the minor prophets, whether it's in your personal devotions or as we read through them, study through them here in our series, perhaps that will give you some, some context um, as far as, uh, as time period, chronological context. So the era of the Hebrew prophet began with Elijah, and it ended with John the Baptist. And Luke tells us that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah was the high watermark of prophets. He was probably the most influential of all the prophets. The last writing prophet, very appropriately, is Malachi, um, who, with whom the Old Testament ends. The prophets were called upon to minister at a very important time, a key transitional moment, if you will. Now, there were various things going on in different ones of these prophets' circumstances. Some of them were before the fall of the northern, king, uh, northern kingdom. Some of them were after the fall of the northern king, but before the exile of Judah. Some of them were even during the reconstruction period, the renewal of the southern kingdom. But each of them were ministering to Israel during an important time, during a time of crisis. Sometimes the crisis was moral. Sometimes it was spiritual. Sometimes it was political. Sometimes it was military. In fact, often it was all of these. But it was a time of crisis for Israel. They were, they were God's spokesmen to speak to His people in troubled times. Boy, if there's not application for the, uh, for the Old Testament prophets in that, I don't know where there is. When we face troubled times, which, which we seem to at almost every turn, we go to the Old Testament prophets and we see they were ministering different circumstances, different time, but they were ministering to God's people when times were troubled, when times were difficult. And so although the specific circumstances might be different, we can take great heart knowing that God sends a message to His people when times are tough. Even when He is doing a work that is painful, that is difficult, even chastisement for His people, we still can take comfort in the Word of God. Now, the prophets were preaching primarily to Israel, and I'm using that in the broad sense of the term Israel. So by that I mean northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah, but Israel as a whole. They weren't really there to preach to individuals per se. The exception to that is this. Um, the prophets sometimes did bump up against the leaders, the national leaders, the king, the spiritual leaders, the priests. They were not worried about political correctness. They were not worried about pleasing a certain political party or a certain political faction. They spoke on behalf of God, and they said what God told them to say. So they would confront those individuals because they were the, the national leaders. 
So what was their role? What was the nature of the ministry of the Old Testament prophets? One of the, so the prophets were one of three offices, if you will. One of three main roles in relating, God's people relating to him. You probably know them well. You've heard, you've heard that Christ is prophet, priest, and king. Right? So those were the three main roles, the three main offices of the Old Testament. So the priest, of course, was the one that represented man before God. I just figured out the problem here. I'm going to fix it. Now maybe you can read it better. I figured out what was going on. Sorry. All right. Now we're on track. Now you might be able to read it. (laughs) Sorry about that. So priest, of course, represented man, stood before God, representing the people. The king ruled under God, but the prophet was the spokesperson. Two men on behalf of God. So so his was a derived message. It was a, a delegated authority. He was not to speak his own words. He was to speak the word of the one who had sent him. Much like an ambassador in our day when speaking on behalf of his country does not have the liberty to to make things up. He had better make sure that what he is saying is commensurate with the policy of the administration that he's representing, of the nation that he is representing. Likewise, a prophet does not have the liberty to make up what he thinks, to say what he thinks, but rather to be a representative of God to the people. He is a delegate for the administration of heaven. Now, how did that preaching work? What was the function? How did he prophesy? Well, there's, there's two aspects to prophecy, and, and probably many of you know this, you understand. The one is, is foretelling, right? That is that predictive aspect. And, and frankly, that's what we usually think of when we think of a prophet. We think of one who can predict the future, one who can tell us about events yet to come. That's that's a prophet. But there's also another aspect, and that is is what we could call forth-telling. Not foretelling, not telling what's in the future, but, but speaking forth the truth that God has revealed. This is the kind of preaching aspect, if you will, of the prophet's ministry. And in fact, this is a ministry that goes on even today when the predictive uh, ministry is no more. This forth-telling, this telling what God has said, this reminding people of God's revelation. Now, both of those are part of the minor prophets. We'll see both of those in each one of these minor prophets. But the interesting thing is, although we often think about telling the future, there's actually twice as much material, roughly, of forth-telling than there is foretelling. That is to say that the prophets preach. They remind people of the truth that they know twice as much as they tell them what is going to happen in the future. And so declaring truth far outweighed their predictive role. 
You'll may, you may notice as you go through your Bible, um, your Old Testament, just something to pick up on. I won't spend a lot of time on this. There are actually different titles that were applied to the Old Testament prophets. Uh, here they are, man of God, man of God, seer in 1 Samuel, for example. You see Saul, right, who's searching for his father's livestock, and he can't find him, so they say, First Samuel, go to the seer. It's the prophet. Uh, a third, so man of God, seer. The third one is visionary, which is used rather infrequently. And then, of course, the most common title given to this office is that of prophet, which is the one that we will use the most. And so let me circle back to what I mentioned a moment ago and kind of emphasize this. This is we're going to park here for just a couple minutes. The prophet, above all, was required to say what God had said. He was required to say what God had said. No more, no less, repeat God's message. Let me read you a couple passages of Scripture. In fact, go, go with me to Deuteronomy in your Bibles. I'll get there in just a minute. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to read you a couple other um, passages Jeremiah 23, verse 16, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. What is Jeremiah saying? There is this brand of prophet who professes to speak on behalf of God, but they're speaking what they want to say. They're speaking, he calls it a vision of their own heart. If you go down in Jeremiah 23, verse 21, Jeremiah indicts them. He says, I have not sent, God says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. If they had stood my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Now, hang on to that for a minute, right? God is saying, if they were two pro true prophets, they would have turned from their evil. And so this brings me to the point that the people were required to distinguish between true and false prophets. There were such a thing as false prophets in the land. They said, we speak on behalf of God. But they were lying. So how were they to do that? The prophets came to Israel, some were named, some were unnamed, some were writing, some were not, and they would claim to be a prophet, a true prophet and not a false one. How would the people know? Pastor Dan and I were talking um, when we had our weekly pastors meeting as we were uh, reflecting on the service this morning and the theme of it. We were talking about this story in 1 Kings 22 that I find just hilarious. Perhaps you've heard this story before, but let me just kind of summarize it in brief. In, in 1 Kings 22, you see it's, it's near the end of Ahab's reign. So Ahab, king of Israel, northern kingdom, wanted to persuade Jehoshaphat, king of the southern kingdom, Judah. He wanted to convince him to join forces in battle. Jehoshaphat requested that... And, uh, that, that we make inquiry of the Lord. And so before they went into this venture, he says, hey, let's, let's ask God. So what is Ahab? Remember Ahab? You remember him? Bad guy. Not cool. Jezebel. 
all that, right? Ahab, he's like, oh, I'll get my prophets in here. Now, you know, we're kind of in the vandal and diversion, right? I'm, I'm kind of going to summarize the story how I see it. <laughs> Go back and read 1 Kings 22. See if you find it as amusing as I do. So Ahab's like, yeah, bring in 400 prophets. And what do they all say? Oh, yeah, do it. Yeah, go for it, king. They tell him what he wants to hear. Why do they, why are they the prophets? They just tell him the king what they want to hear. Well, that's why he keeps them around. And so these 400 prophets come. They all present their case. They, they, they supposedly inquire of the Lord, and they all give him a favorable report. Well, Jehoshaphat isn't satisfied with this, and he asks a really curious question. He wants to know, verse 7, is there a true prophet of the Lord? <laughs> so 400 guys come in. They say, yeah, go do it. Good. And Jehoshaphat's like, wait a minute. Is there a real prophet around? <laughs> like, this is just not, uh-uh. So Ahab says something hilarious. He refers to Micah the prophet. He says in verse 8, so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there's one man. Micah, the son of Imlah, who, of whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. <laughs> yeah, okay, there's this one guy. He's a true prophet. But I don't like him because he tells me the truth. Right? He tells me what I don't want to hear. Wow. Right? Ahab is quite the little pouty baby. But they call him anyway, because Jehoshaphat's insisting. No, I, I want to hear what he has to say. And then it gets even funnier, because Micah, Micah strolls into the courtroom. You know, here's, here's Ahab, here's Jehoshaphat. Then he came to the king and said to the king, uh, and the king said to him, excuse me, Micah, shall we go to war with Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And Micah says, now you've got to hear it kind of with a little bit of sarcasm. Micah says, Oh, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver the hand of the, deliver him to the hand of the king. <laughs> to which Ahab responds, No, tell me the truth. <laughs> and that's what happens. Micah comes in, and he, I think it's sarcastic. He, he's making fun of the king. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. Do what you want, king. It's all good. Like, you, you wanted me to come in and say what you wanted me to hear. And, and Ahab's like, no, 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 tell me the truth. And he does this a couple times. And so finally... He presents a message that, no, this is going to be the mechanism by which God judges you. And, in fact, he's right. The, the prediction comes true. But he gets sent to jail. He gets sent to prison. I mean, there's, there's some irony there, right? 400 prophets say what he wants them to say, and then they know they're not true prophets. He knows they're not true prophets. They bring in the true prophet. The prophet says the truth, and he's like, I don't like this guy. I'm going to get even with him. He didn't say what. He's not a yes man. Get him out of here. Throw him in jail. Ahab did go out and died on the battlefield. So you have your Bible open to Deuteronomy. I ask you to open to uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse 22. Deuteronomy 18, 22, when God is reiterating the law, God warns them about true and untrue prophets. And so it says in verse 22 of Deuteronomy 18, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken, 
The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Now, the word presumptuously carries the idea of rebellion, of, of insolence. All right, it's not just, oops, I got it wrong. It's that he is in rebellion against God. So when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord and what he said doesn't come to pass, that's not a true prophet. He has spoken, Deuteronomy says, presumptuously. Yeah, don't, don't worry about him. Don't fear him. He does not speak on behalf of God. So what is the indicator of a true prophet? Well, first of all, his prophecies come true. They would be proven right Jeremiah predict, was predicting victory for Babylon and defeat for Jerusalem, even though numerous false prophets were saying just the opposite. And ultimately, Jeremiah was proven right. Some prophecies, however, take a long time to come to pass, right? I mean, we're going to look at Old Testament prophecies that have still yet to come true. So while that's an important test, it's a vital test, it's... It's not an immediate test. And so what is the other one? The other one, I told you to hang on to it in your mind when we looked at Jeremiah. The other indicator of a true prophet was whether he conformed to the law of God. A prophet was a voice for God. And so his life needed to be a reflection as he submitted to that law that he was a prosecutor for. His life needed to be lived in such a way that it reflected obedience and loyalty to God and his word. If he was not obedient to God's word, how could he be a messenger of God's word? All right, now what I'm going to refer to next, believe me, has nothing to do with politics. That's not my point in bringing out this illustration, but it is a current illustration. Um, so whoever you think should have won the election or all that, set that, all that aside for a moment. In late October, Pat Robertson declared that he had heard from the Lord that Trump was going to win the election, followed by R. Lauren Stanford, Jeremiah Johnson, and Chris Vallotton. High-ish high profile charismatics who professed to be prophets, predicting what was going to happen in the future. Recently, several of them have expressed their contrition and even repentance for their incorrect prophecy regarding the election. All right, again, it's not, it's not about the election. The point is, there were people making these bold predictions that they had heard from the Lord about what, has, what was going to happen. And so, since there is a discussion that has ensued amongst some quarters about how we think about how we deal with prophets who got it wrong, who even admit that they got it wrong. I have a pastor friend who posed such a question on Facebook to a host of replies that I refrain from dialogue in but read with great interest. Things like, um, well, they should repent of their prophecy. Or, you know, as long as they're humble about it, that's what matters. And even prophets get it wrong sometimes. Yes, false prophets. The, one of the criteria for a true prophet is when he or she professes to speak for God, 
that he's actually speaking for God. God knows what will happen in the future, and one who speaks that God has said, and it does not come to pass, is speaking presumptuously. You remember Balaam? Numbers 22, 23, you remember this story? This is another amusing story. The, the enemy king, the Moabite king Balak, knows that, that he is at risk of defeat by Israel. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? This guy, this prophet, Balaam, he always gets it right. So I'm going to pay him to prophesy against Israel. Great idea, right? So he pays Balaam, and Balaam goes up on the hillside, and, and he looks over the encampment, and as he goes to curse Israel, blessings come out. It's like, that's not what I paid you to do, man. They go through this three times, and every time Balaam tries to pronounce judgment against God's people, better blessings come out. Okay, that was a true prophet, right? He could not speak on behalf of God that which was not true. He tried, couldn't. He was a prophet. He was a delegate from God. So one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that a true prophet's word comes true. There's no like, he's got a pretty good batting average, so he must be a prophet. No, if he speaks for God, he speaks for God. When he says he speaks for God, this thus says the Lord. Then that's what God has said. Now, the other criteria, another test that a prophet must submit to is the one that we mentioned before, that he keeps the law of God. He's obedient. And so the life of one who professes to be a prophet in the Old Testament was also an indicator of whether this was a true prophet. Boy, there are so many lessons here for us. We do not hear direct messages from the lips of God in our day. But it is important that our lives back up what we profess. When God has said to do or not to do we obey, and we give validity to, or we undermine the message when our lives uh, either conversely back up that message or, or do not. It was important for the people to be discerning. You know, I think God's people today could use a healthy dose of skepticism. I don't mean by that that we, that we doubt God. What I mean by that is that we are discerning and evaluate and not kind of have this check our brains at the door mentality. You've heard me say it before many times, and I, I repeat it again and again. If someone tells you God has said, they had better be prepared to show you that God has said. We have the revealed word of God. Is what they're saying consistent with what God has said? Can they demonstrate from, from the revealed word of God that this is truth? Or are they prophesying presumptuously? What was the 
reason that God had established these prophets, and then in turn, what does that have for us? Well, the purpose of the prophet's ministry was multifaceted. He always was preaching towards a response from the hearer. Usually, this is a form of, uh, in the form of a call to repentance. He's calling God's people to a response, and that response is, you've deviated from the covenant. You have not kept the law of God. God is going to punish you for that. Repent. Return. And in fact, Judah, at times during their history, did return. The kings of Judah would would at times have a revival in the kingdom. And may I just be so bold as to say, that's why Judah was kept as a remnant and Israel was destroyed. So always calling for a response. But the prophets are also comforting God's people. You remember the passage from Isaiah? Comfort ye, comfort my people, says the Lord. Even in the midst of their difficult circumstances, even as they face the the very real prospect of judgment falling down upon them, the prophets comfort them. As they predict the future, what is the value of that? Why were they given a word from the Lord as to what would happen in the future? Well, it always pointed them to the character of God. It always brought them back to who God was in His essence. First of all, His omniscience. God's omniscience. This is what makes God, the true God, different from idols. Idols don't know what's going to happen in the future. God does. He's in control of all things, even what will happen in the future. So God's omniscience is a reminder. The prophets are a reminder of God's omniscience. He knows all things. Theologians have said it this way. He knows all things past, present, and future, actual and potential, intuitively, simultaneously, truly, exhaustively. God knows all. Secondly, as we think about the character of God, we think about His omniscience, excuse me, His his omnipotent sovereignty, His omnipotent sovereignty. The prophets want to make sure that their hearers know that God is in control of all things, even future events, His omnipotent sovereignty, and then His justice and righteousness, His justice and righteousness. God God will not let sin go unpunished. God will not let His people continue to rebel. At some point, His long-suffering will run out and God's people will be corrected. His justice is always there, although it may seem slow in coming. God is always righteous. He is always just. Oh, but we're also reminded of His mercy and His love. And this is what I want us to see as we go through the Old Testament prophets, that God is constantly wanting His people. He is calling them to repentance. God does not want to punish. He he desires for His people to come to Him in repentance. He would rather show mercy than judgment. And even in judgment, He shows mercy. He gives hope. 
So if you, if you go back to, uh, was it last week that we talked about the new covenant? This is the, this is the joyous thing about the new covenant is that even in the midst of condemnation, even in the midst of pronouncing that God will do a work of judgment, he still holds out hope. The prophets still remind the people that God will not utterly destroy them, that he will do a work among them. He is still merciful even in the midst of judgment. And then finally, the last highlight for God's character is his faithfulness. Even when it looks like God is judging Israel, he hadn't forgotten his promise. And so it is very good for us to follow the series uh, on the covenants with this series on the minor prophets because all of this is framed in a covenant. If you go back to the Abrahamic covenant, you go to the Davidic covenant, you will see that God intends to follow through on his word even though his people stray, even though they have to go through the waters of judgment, God will still keep his word. He is faithful. And so what are the themes that you want to be looking for as we study these minor prophets who are major in what they say? Well, the character of God, all of those things that we just mentioned, look for the character of God in the study of the minor prophets. Secondly, I think we're reminded about the importance of telling God's truth. It is important for us to tell God's truth. 1 Peter 4.11 says this, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If he ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. Like Israel of old, the modern church stands in desperate need of the kind of preaching and ministry that these ancient prophets had in Israel. The era of prophecy has ceased. There are no prophets today. In the case for that is a, top, a different topic for a different day. We'll tackle it sometime. But I'm thoroughly convinced that the gift of prophecy has ceased, at least in the sense of foretelling the future. But let's be clear. Preachers, and indeed all Christians, are called upon to foretell, to tell the truth of God, to say what God has said. There are two dangers that we face. One is to withhold what God has clearly said, to, to soft-pedal the truth, to smooth the jagged edges of what God has revealed. The other danger is, of course, to speak presumptuously, to say what God has not said and attribute it to God. We must be very careful that when we profess to speak for God, that we are doing so accurately, carefully, It is important for us to be reminded, even this morning, of the timelessness of the Old Testament prophets. In particular, as we think about um, the minor prophets, they will give us insight into the future. But that's not the most important thing. It's to call us to obedience. As, as the prophets called his people to obedience, so too we are called to obedience we're reminded of the character of God that we just talked about, the need for speaking God's truth, and above all, these prophets give us hope. May God help us as we look one at a time at these minor prophets, and may God use His Word in our hearts. Lord, we do love You. We thank You 
for the way that you speak even today through the prophets of old. And we pray that we would be reminded of the truths that are still timeless, that are true of you, your character, your call to us to be obedient to you, and the hope that your faithfulness brings to us.